Well, family, I'm excited about uh, being with you again tonight. Um, we are in this series. We've jumped back into the series, Tribe by Fire. And uh, if you were here last week, uh, you were uh, not last week, the week before. Last week, we had our uh, fall festival, which was awesome. Anybody enjoy that? That was so great. I'm still hearing testimonies. The week before that, we had Pastor Tiffany. She came up and brought us an incredible word. Um, and so I want to pick up uh, just where she left off um, and dive into this word. Uh, we're going to get back into First Peter. So if you will, would you stand on your feet as we read the word of God? We'll be coming from First Peter uh, 3. We're going to read 13 down through 17. Um, now I have the, the new King James Version. I was going to go all the way back to the King James Version, but I thought I'd take a slight stop at the new King James. But uh, y'all have to just accept that because I got family back at home in Louisville that's watching, and this is what I grew up on, so I just had to go back a little bit. Um, let's read together. The Bible says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than doing evil. God, as we dive into this word, open our eyes to see what you would have to say to us. God, it's not by chance that we're here tonight, but I believe that you have a word for all of us. So God, let us hear what you have to say. God, I pray now, let me decrease and that you increase. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength, our redeemer. God, do what only you can do in the lives of your people. I know that you will do this. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our family can be seated. I love what Peter is letting us know as we dive into these words. I'll tell you an interesting story that I read. In February of 2015, there were 21 men who became martyrs when they were brutally murdered by members of the Islamic State, or ISIS, as they are referred to. And these victims, they were kidnapped while they were residing in, in Libya, where they were working to support their families. And the name in the background of, of one of these was first unknown. However, later on, they would find out one name is Matthew Ayirga which soon would be identified by his friends who recognized him in video footage of this killing released by ISIS. I have a photo here. This is actually a still shot. It's the reason why it's so grainy, because this is actually a video. And the individual I'm talking about, Matthew, he's there in the middle. This video shows um, each of these kidnapped men, they're dressed in the orange jumpsuits, they're kneeling on a beach, with the black clothes attackers 
They're standing behind them. Each of these men, they were systematically beheaded. The video clearly captures many of the men praying, Lord Jesus Christ, in their final moments. And according to reports, Matthew, the guy in the center, he was not even a Christian. However, just moments before his death, when the ISIS militants demanded he follow Islam, Matthew turned them down. After witnessing the immense faith of the men that he was there with, he decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ himself. So on camera, one of the terrorists, they asked Matthew, do you reject Christ? He responded boldly, their God is my God. He then became the 21st man who laid down their lives for their faith in Christ. It wasn't the fairy tale ending that we probably were hoping for, but this is the reality of this situation. So it makes me think differently about the text that we're reading. So tonight, in honor of all who have fallen due to atrocities that are happening all over this world, but still for Christ, I've entitled this message, Blessed Suffering. In the beginning of this passage um, that we're going to cover tonight, Peter poses what seemingly is a rhetorical question. He says, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? He immediately answers saying, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Seems like the answer to that question in my natural eyes is there is a lot of people that will harm me. There's a lot of people who can come against me and some of you Though you have not walked through an atrocity this great, you've probably suffered for Christ's sake in some way or another. We currently live in a culture that if you proclaim yourself as a Christian, you could potentially lose your job. You can lose your friends. You can lose your, your livelihood because this is not something that in the modern era that we live in and even back then has ever been something that has been widely accepted. And so when we consider who can harm you, you would think that the answer is long, but perhaps we have to really understand what that word harm means. That yes, though Matthew lost his life, his physical body, eternally he is with God. So there is still a testimony in that test, in that trial, that though he would love to still be alive and, and I would love the story to be, they decided that, okay, you get to live. I recognize the ultimate gift that God gives us in the, in the greatest miracle that can happen in our lives is not just longer life, but it is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So it changes my perspective in what can really harm me. Because though I may lose something that I have now, I have to recognize that the thing that I am losing is only temporary. And what can never be taken away from me 
is my heart eternally changed by God. And so when the enemy tries to come against me and intimidate me and try to bring fear against me, I can remind him what I have, you can't take. What God has given to me, you have no authority over. So come against my body if you will, but I still will stand on the truth of who my God is. And I will be a testimony if I lose everything, I still have everything that I need, which is my God, which is my heart that has changed. And there is a destiny and there is something that I get to walk into that will never go away. And that's why the redeemed of the Lord can say so. I'm redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And so I start with my first point, which is very interesting. We get to see this all throughout the Bible, but focusing on with Peter, if you were here last time I spoke, um, we, I kicked this thing off talking about um, kind of this paradox of blessing. This is something I've kind of coined this, this reality. So the Bible often speaks um, of finding uh, blessings in the midst of suffering and hardship. Throughout Peter's letters, he often uh, it, it, he just draws this distinct perspective on suffering and blessings. This ideal of the juxtaposition of suffering and blessing is it's quite foreign to our modern way of living. He encourages believers to endure suffering with patience. And he saw it as a means to refine one's faith and character. Peter continues to emphasize that Christians should not be surprised by suffering and should find joy in their participation in Christ's suffering. He also spoke of blessings and hope of salvation in Christ, urging us to live as chosen people in a royal priesthood. Often when I come to church, I have friends of mine that are not believers. They will often ask me, hey, man, when you get to church, send one up for me. <laughs> right? As if my God is some kind of, of genie that I just rub a lamp and then he gives me blessings and then I get to go hand them out to folks. So many people quickly raise their hand. I want a blessing. I want a blessing. And I go, be careful what you ask for, because often the blessing comes with suffering. Those things are not separated. You can't go, God, I want I want the blessing, but don't give me the suffering. One of my uh, favorite uh, bodybuilders is eight time Mr. Olympian. Um, He says this, everybody wants to be a bodybuilder, but nobody wants to lift weights. (laughs) I remember when I was a young man, I loved mom's home cooking, but I sure didn't want to wait. Like, why? What's taking so long? My stomach is eating itself. He's like, boy, if you want this good food, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to endure something. You're going to have to be patient. So be careful about asking for the blessings because you don't realize that often the blessing is actually the process of you going through the suffering. This is when you often are able to see God the best. One writer said it like this, what God does not spare us from, God strengthens us for and sustains us through. Another way I like to think about this is what often galvanizes us as a people is not our success, but it's actually our struggles. If you think about it, think about the black experience here in America. You think about soul food and Negro spirituals that become our freedom anthems. Think about the innovations in art and fashion. 
These were all responses to atrocities com- uh, committed against a, a people for over 400 years. Some of the things that we love the most weren't born out of the greatest moments, but born out of struggling. Some of the greatest advancements of manufacturing, technology, healthcare in the United States have been seen uh, that we've ever seen. They were a direct response to some of the most tumultuous time, difficult times, war and conflict. I, uh, I saw this research that was quite interesting. Research proves that the people with less money, people who have less, tend to be more generous to those who are less fortunate than those who have wealth. And the reason being is that when you have less, you tend to relate to other people who have less. And so you're willing to help. But yet when you have everything that you need, somehow there is a a misunderstanding of what somebody is going through. And so often you see less compassion. So sometimes what the struggle is doing for you is it's causing you to, to come closer to your brother and your sister. One of the, uh, some of my army buddies are out here, and I know there's a lot of folks who served. I can remember when I was in the military and we was in some of the toughest moments. Most of the time I was in training. I feel like training was probably worse than war. It was, I feel like they was just putting us through it. But I can remember there would be times that we'd be out in the field, maybe just finish a jump, or we'd be out uh, doing a, a field exercise or FTX and it would be just terrible, all of us hating life. But we would come together and we had this motto that we would say, embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. It's not going to get any better, but if I can do it with the people around me, then I can get through this a little bit better. Often, the things that you're going through is meant to help you galvanize yourself, not only to God, but the people around you. This is what we as a people can do with others when we not try to hide our pain or hide the things that we're going through, but when we're willing to be honest and go, man, I'm going through it too. I know what it's like to feel this pain. I know what it's like to feel like I'm unseen or unheard and I'm with you. Let's both be unseen and unheard together. <laughs> this is the beauty of going through our struggles, understanding that this suffering There is a purpose to it. My second point is this. If you jump back up into our word, he says, do not be afraid. This is Peter. He says, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. So one of the enemy's greatest tactics against God's people is to inflict fear. The Bible reminds us when the enemy comes as a serpent, Jesus would crush his head. And though he would come as a roaring lion, we are commanded to stand steadfast in our faith. And when he comes as a wolf to devour us, the good shepherd lays down his life so that we may live. Fear has a tactic of trying to intimidate and knock you away from the thing that God has intended for you. My, uh, my daughter, she absolutely loves shower time. That is her thing Water is her thing, and often I have to get her out the shower because she will stay in there until all the hot water runs out, and then I have to take a freezing cold shower. So we time her. I'm like, Layla, get in, do your thing, get out. And um, is that me? Okay, we're still good. Um, and so 
Um, there was one day, uh, my daughter was getting ready to get in the shower, doing our normal routine. I take her up, turn the water on, tell her to get in the shower. And I go and I'm doing some other things. And then you hear that thing that no parent wants to hear. I hear a loud scream. My daughter screams. So dad was able to, in probably two or three steps, get all the way across that house and get into that room. And what is going on? Fling the shower door open. What is going on? And she's in the corner of the shower. She's screaming, Daddy, there's a moth in. Yeah. But the truth is, she's terrified. I can see it in her face. In her mind, that moth was going to absolutely destroy her. And the thing that she found so much comfort in, the place where it was her, her, her space of happiness and joy had now came an area of terror in her life. And so while my heart wanted to, or my head, probably more my head wanted to laugh and go, girl, it's a moth. Like, if you don't calm down. But I realized that there was fear inside of her. And I thought, this is an opportunity to help her defeat this fear. So I said, sweetheart, stay right here. I'll be right back. I ran downstairs and I got the fly swatter. And I thought, well, I can kill it, but I need her to know her power. So instead, I gave her the fly swatter. I said, all right, you're going to kill this moth. What I want you to do is I'll, I'm going to hold you up and I want you to hit this moth fix it. Come on. Don't play with me in here. If I have to switch, I'll switch to a handheld. Is it me? Am I rubbing? Let me try to ask better. We're going to fix it or I'll just, I'll sound off. I was in the military. Don't play with me. <laughs> I got it in me. We'll stand up here and you'll get, you'll get drill sergeant Stevenson here in a second. But I tell my daughter, I'm going to hold you up and I want you to take this flash water and I want you to hit that moth with everything you have inside of you and you crush it. And so like my little fiery daughter, she is Layla. I named her after Layla Ali, the fighter. She swings and she splatters that moth all over the wall and she's like, I killed him, daddy. I said, that's right. You did kill him. You have the power. To go against anything that goes against you. Don't you ever be afraid of anything in this house. So much so now that I have to keep her away because now she sees a bug. She just can't wait to go kill it. I'm going to wait. Sorry. That, time out. That's not what we, we were trying to do. Only do this in this house. I don't want anybody to think that I'm training you to be a trained killer. But I needed her to understand that what fear was going to do to her, it was going to keep her from doing the thing that is intended for her to do. It's, it's intended for her to go and be bathed every day. That's where she's supposed to find her solace and her comfort. But that intimidation of what we know is to be so small had done so much. And what I love about it is all of us, we laughed. We laughed at the moth, yet this is what we allow the enemy to do to us every day. And what we don't realize is the moth is the enemy. That's how small he is because the Bible declares greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so in the same way that you are looking at your problems and going, oh my God, my God sees the moth. That's what you, 
Yet he goes, hold on, let me give you a fly swatter. This fly swatter is the word. So let me remind you of who I am. Let me remind you of the Holy Spirit that resides inside of you, that you can overcome this. And so what I realize is this, the fear and the intimidation are crippling. When you consume them, they will consume you. When you allow your spirit, allow your soul to, to, to take that in, it will become an impediment to you doing what God has for you. And you will miss out on the true blessings that is intended to. Because in the same way my daughter learned a lesson on her strength, God is trying to teach you a lesson on your strength. That you don't have to be afraid of the things that are coming against you because I've already given you Uh, Heather, you said it perfectly. I've already given you the things that you need. You're going to look for it and it's in your pocket. It's in your heart. That's why we hide the word in our heart. So that when the enemy comes against me, I don't have to go quickly, go find it. It's already here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I don't got to be afraid of you, enemy, because I know who my God is. And I know who I am. Peter gives us the antidote to fear by encouraging us. He says this, sanctify the Lord in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, I found uh, just a few days ago as I was still looking through this, actually yesterday, I found an awesome uh, definition of sanctify. Never heard it before, but man, it, it blessed my soul. Listen to this. The generic meaning of sanctification is to set of pro- is, is the state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set the person or the thing apart uh, for, uh, for use intended by the designer. Let me say that again because I chopped that up a little bit. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the uh, use intended by its designer. So like this, a pen is sanctified when it's used to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when we use them to improve our sight. So to sanctify is to put that thing or that person in its proper place. So what is Peter is saying? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So that means I must place God, and he puts the title right in front of it, Lord God of my heart. He must rest on the throne of my heart. And because if I let him be Lord of my life, that means there's only one throne in my heart. So anger and resentment and depression and anxiety and doubt and hopelessness, they try to take the seat in my heart and they try to become the Lord and then dictate the way my life live. I have to say, no, you don't belong there. The only thing that belongs on the throne of my heart is God himself. And so when he sits there, there's no room for anything else. And here's what I love about my God. It's my God. He's waiting for the invitation. He's ready for the invitation, but simply will we respond? We will allow him to be who he is and do what he does. I was having a conversation in our Leewell cohort, and we were talking about this reality of, of lordship. And Pastor JC, he's my cohort leader, so he's awesome. I got to 
I got, I got it real good. What he let me understand is what we begin to suss out in our conversations today is that we live in a culture, a modern culture in which we will accept the Lord as our Savior. And it's almost like a, like a secret, like I'll be the Savior and kind of keep it to ourselves. And we carry that as I don't want anybody to really know what's going on. I liken it to this. We often will make the Lord or Christ in our lives, God in our lives, we'll make him the side chick and wifey will be the world. We will go out in the world and people will say, we'll talk about who we are and we can talk all day long about our careers, about our families, about our hobbies, and then we'll barely ever bring up that I'm a child of, the God, a child of God. Because it's like, oh, yeah, and I go to church sometime. But when I make him my Lord, then I'm not afraid of what anyone has to say about me. I don't care how you're going to view me. I declare he's Lord. And because he's Lord, that there's something that comes along with that. I am willing to stand and profess that it doesn't matter if somehow now you don't validate me anymore because I'm validated already by my God. He is the one who establishes me. And so even if you go away, if you're no longer my friend, if you no longer want to be around me, that's fine. Because I have the one who will stick by me no matter what. I have the one that no matter how far I may stray, that who will always be there for me. I have the one that will declare over my life. And the promise is that surely goodness and mercy will follow me. See, I will... I will mess up if I'm relying on our friendship. It will happen. I will do something and we'll fall apart. And, and then I'll find myself sitting there going, man, what do I do now? But I'm so glad I have a God that even when I mess up, he's still there. Lamentations remind me is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. His compassion, it never fails for it's new every morning because great is his faithfulness towards each and every one of us. So, yes, I declare you to be Lord. And when I declare you to be Lord of my life, then that displaces anything else that tries to be Lord of my life. And so there is this, um, there is this, um, I, I talked about it probably once before in, in an offering message, but it's worth saying again, there's this phenomenon called target fixation. It's this an intentional phenomenon observed in humans in which Individuals become so focused and so uh, on, on an object that they will inadvertently increase their risks in colliding into that object. So a lot of times they teach this when you're learning how to ride a motorcycle is that don't look at the barrier because you'll end up driving into the barrier. You have to look right up the road in which you're intended to go. And so you have to shift your focus. When I allow all of the things that are coming against me, the pain and, and the anger and, and, and the doubt and anxiety, when I focus on that, then that's where I begin to travel to. But when I shift my focus, when I remind my soul of who my God is and I start remembering his promises, now I begin to shift and go to a different place. And it doesn't mean that all the things that I'm going through disappeared. It just means I'm no longer focusing on them. And so I don't go in that direction. I now go towards my God. It gives a different meaning to lift up your eyes to the hill where your help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord. It means I am adjusting my view. 
I'm adjusting my target acquisition to go to the one who never fails me. And so when I do this, what it allows me to do is to displace my despair with devotion. I can withstand my worry with worship and I can exterminate my uneasiness with exaltation. It took me a little while. It took me a little while to write that. Um, I was proud of that, but it just, it don't ring off. If you knew how good this preached to me when I'm at home, I'm like, It's probably because I have an app that has an organ in it, and I turn the organ on, and I grab my ear, and I lift my leg, and I, and I preach. Um, but this is, this is the truth, is that when I properly, there, we have to be careful to not just try to wish our worries away or wish our pain away and, and think that somehow it's gone because it will just come back. The, the proper way that we must do this, and we have to displace it. Anxiety, you have no home here. The Lord lives here. And so when the Lord comes in, he fills up that there's no more room, right? And so imagine if I had a cup here, if I continue to pour my God in it, he would push everything out that is not supposed to be there. And so there's an overflow. There's no room for nothing else. So I'm not trying to just defeat my anxiety or defeat my depression or defeat my worry or defeat my doubt. What I'm saying is, the Lord, I need you to come in and fill me up so much that there's no room for anything else. That the only thing that's left is you here. And so I read my word. I have to get it inside of me. I have to consume it. That has to be the thing that lives inside of me. So there's no room for anything else. So my third point is this. He says, the way that we do this, the way that we overcome this fear, he says we have to do this um, with meekness. I'm sorry, he says it like this. Let me read it exactly. He says, and then he says, give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. And you do this with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. It's important to understand what is Peter saying. He talks about meekness. So meekness is an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only part of a larger picture. Meekness does, does not identify the weak, but more precisely the strong who have been placed in a position of weakness where their perseverance, where they can, where they can show perseverance without giving up. Uh, the use of the Greek word when applied to animals makes it clear it means to tame. So it doesn't mean weakness, even as Remember that picture I showed you of Matthew, though he looked like he was weak because he was in a vulnerable state, he was showing an incredible level of strength. When we think about meekness, I like to say it like this, it is strength under control. It's power under control. Um, one of the, uh, one of the uh, I'm really into dogs, and there's this... Uh, this Belgian shepherd, or they call it the Belgian Melanois, it is probably one of the most incredible dogs out there. I mean, they tell you, you shouldn't get these dogs because they could tear your house up. Um, they're incredibly powerful, incredibly intelligent. But these dogs are trained. They're trained um, to, to fight. A lot of special forces uh, use these dogs. 
And what they do is they don't take away that dog's strength or that dog's power. What they do is they train that dog how to harness his power in the, way, in the, direct, in, in the way that it should. So when they're trained properly, they reject their natural instinct and they'll obey their masters. So normally when all of the ruckus would happen of war, a dog would avoid it and would try to do whatever it takes to preserve its own self. But when it's properly trained, when it is tamed, it doesn't respond to everything that is going around it. You can hear gunshots going off. You can hear a blast going off and screaming and yelling, yet they don't listen to any of that. They can hear it, but they don't listen to it. All they listen to is the voice of their master, and they respond by what their master says. And so what meekness looks like is though the world may be chaotic around me and though the voices around me are trying to tell me all these other things to do, the only voice I hear is that of the Lord who says, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. I know there's a whole lot of things that are happening around you, and I know that you want to respond in a certain way, but if you trust me, if you just hold fast, I'm going to show you my salvation. So this becomes my testimony, because when the world looks at me and says, why aren't you responding like this? You should be running. You should be cowering. You should have gave up. I say, you don't hear the voice that I hear. And I'm not crazy, though I look crazy, but it's okay because you can call me that because there's a blessing in you thinking that about me because you may think that about me, but what my God says about me is that's my son in whom I'm well-pleased. That's my daughter in whom I'm well-pleased. So I will stand on the truth of who my God is. When Peter speaks of fear, he doesn't mean one that makes me cower away or to hide, but he means to revere to venerate, to worship, to adore, to honor and admire profoundly and respectfully. And I conclude with this. He ends by saying this, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. For it is better, like how he throws it, if it is the will of God for us to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The truth is this, nobody experiences revelation without some kind of great cost. And what this text does not say is that somehow if you do evil, then you won't suffer. He rightly lets you know there's going to be suffering. So this doesn't preach as well as, as you probably wanted to. If you do evil, you're going to suffer. If you do well, you're going to suffer. Hey, guess what? No matter what, you're going to suffer. But there is a blessing when you suffer for good because there is a reward that comes from that. One of my songs that I grew up on and I really enjoyed, it says it's the safest place in the whole world is in the will of God. So no matter what is happening around me, if I find myself in the will of God, that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I can face whatever is trying to come against me because there is, there is a purpose in my pain. There's sovereignty in the suffering. That God has designed this not to break me. He's designed this to make me what he would have me to be. 
As I said the last time I was with you, I talked about being forged in fire. The way the sword is created is that it has to be first heated up to extreme temperatures. It has to be hammered into its place. It has to then go through all these processes, which is ground down. But what is produced out of that is something that is powerful, something that can go and be wielded in the hand of God to change a nation, to change a city, to change a life, to change a household. This is what God is doing for us. So there's a purpose in this. The world would say this, the world's greatest teacher is pain and the world's greatest university is life. And I would say if that pain without purpose means nothing. And life without God is pointless. What we need is what we have in that of our lives in Jesus. I'm going to leave you just with a few things. My mom taught me this when I was very young. She said, I often ask her, well, mom, how do we know all of this is real? And, you know, had a tough upbringing. I've often talked about my testimony. And I saw suffering in my mom just all the time, just being prayerful and still going to church. And I was just thinking, mom, why, why do we do this? Is there anything else that we can do? I feel like there's got to be another way. I see other people, they don't do this. And they are getting, she says, son, let me explain something to you. She said, I'd much rather live my whole life giving up the things that I want for myself and following God and wake up after I close my eyes for the final time and stare him in the face and he tell me, well done, my good and faithful servant, than to live my life the way that I want to the whole time as if he's not real and open up my eyes and see him standing and saying, I gave you an opportunity and you didn't take it. So she said, you could take that how you want to, son, but this is the reason why I live that way. And one day you're going to find yourself in a situation facing that same way. So there was a song that came out in the 80s. Um, I only know this because I have a super old soul. Um, but I used to sing this as a kid. And the name of the song is When I See Jesus. And the lyrics goes like this. I've learned how to live holy. I've learned how to live right. I've learned how to suffer. For if I suffer, I will gain eternal life. And it goes on and says, when I see Jesus, amen. When I see Jesus, amen, all of my struggles, they will soon be over. When I see Jesus, amen. But Peter lets us understand that we will go through trials. We will go through struggles. We will go through pain. Yet our God is always there with us. He sees it all. He understands it all. There's nothing that he missed. And there's a reward for us. And even as I was singing that song earlier today, I realized something. I used to sing that song as if the only time I get to see Jesus is on the other side of glory. Yet he says, son, you can see me now. I was singing that song to myself and I saw him. He said, son, I'm right in front of you. Look. 
you think that you can't see me until this life is over. But I've been here the whole time. And so the, trug- the trials and the struggles that you are going through, you don't have to wait to the other side for them to be over. But if you allow me to be here with you right now, I can declare those are over. Yeah, they may not go away, but they're over because I've already declared it's finished. So if you just look at me, so when I see Jesus, amen, when I see Jesus, so now I ask myself, what in the world is blocking my view of Jesus? What I realize is what's blocking my view is perhaps I'm just looking at all the things that are coming against me and I've allowed that to cloud my judgment. But I wonder if like I was able to today and Perhaps you are, if you fix your gaze, change your aperture, see your Jesus, he's here. Can you declare amen? Can you declare that my troubles, my trials, my struggles, they're over because you're here. Because the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there was freedom. Well, where is the spirit of the Lord? It's right here. So I take freedom with me. I take it with me wherever I go. And though I may be in a situation that is uncomfortable, I can reach down and grab a little bit of my freedom right now. And even though I feel pain, I can grab a little bit of my freedom right now. Though I may be sitting in the hospital, may, though my bank account may be not what I want it to be, though I may be sitting in, in prison, may I be sitting in, in a situation that is uncomfortable, I'm not looking around trying to find my freedom. I go, wait, I know where you are. You're right here. I'm looking for something you already gave me. It's right here. Because family, that's what I want to leave you with. See Jesus in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your pain, look to Jesus. He's there and he's not hard to find. He's there. And for those who have family who may be in a situation where all they do is bring you troubles, you guys know that. You get all those people that you know when the phone rings, you go, here we go. They're going to tell me a whole bunch of problems. Realize there's a reason why they're coming to you because you have something they don't have yet. And so instead of ignoring their phone call, you answer it and you give them the antidote to overcome those things. And you say, can I tell you about Jesus? And even if they don't want to receive it in that moment, it's okay. You tell them again. Because eventually there's going to come a day. They're going to have to give up on all the other things that they've tried to put on the, the, the throne of their heart. When nothing is left, who is still standing there but a mighty God, a mighty Savior. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your revelation. It is you who hold us in your hands. We declare that no matter what we face, we will have a defense. Our defense is that you are good that we can look over our lives and we can see the ways that you've made. And we can declare that even when everything looks bad and looks like it's over, 
that you are the, ma- the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are the promise keeper. You are our light in the darkness. That is who you are. Thank you for this revelation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you give the Lord some praise?